My argument is fatherhood and motherhood is the perfection of masculinity and femininity. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knees Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined today by Dave, tiny little backpack Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? It's a tiny little backpack you got there. I love that backpack changed my life. How did it change your life? It's it's like one of those travel bags. It's amazing. I keep everything in there. Uh, it's very padded on the back, so I must feel good when you're when walking far. You know what I did? I'm not I, a. I'm not a. You're, you're walking through I the had? airport, like some kind of like medieval like king that gets carried around or yes. something like and that. And someone walks behind you with coconut shells, going clop 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 clop. I just started. I know. I don't think I told you this. I started rucking. Do you what know what is, rucking what is? is? Rucking. You know what a rucksack is? Yeah, but I, it's a military backpack, right? So I, I hear people talking about this. To thing. go rucking. So there's a company called Go Ruck. Yeah, I To know go that. rucking is you put weights that are made for bags in your backpack, and good, then you go. That's a good thing. That's, right. That's a great work. Yeah. So the whole point is you load up the back. You got to make sure. You look skinny, by the way. Shut your face. You I, do? No. No. I, not even remotely. All right. Fine. fine. Not even remotely. But also remember, there's no muscle under here, unlike you. It's all muscle for you. You walked in, you had to go sideways through the door. That was oh, crazy. He's so broad of chest. Uh, <laughs> Gross. That was weird. But uh, yeah, I've been rucking, and I bought the cheapest backpack on Amazon in a rucksack backpack. Oh, okay. So it's just, and I am waiting for the weight to just fall oh, out through? the bottom oh, because when fun. you buy because if you go to gorock.com they're all like three four hundred dollars because they're made with like the toughest you know whatever it'll you know everything is like reinforced with braided steel so it won't it can handle as uh, it can handle up to 100 pounds so okay so so mine cannot mine can handle less than four pounds but i have a 20 pound weight put in there okay so you have 20 pounds <laughs> yeah. so that's 20 pounds is like i did that because i wanted a starting weight because i i know me i'm like i'm gonna do i'm gonna go way overboard yeah but now i when i walk with it it doesn't feel like anything yeah. it's like tw- Okay, oh, 20 I, pounds is I, I definitely know what you mean. The, I did the other day. I went way overboard, and I, I'm, I've for a good two hours in the middle of the night. I was thinking, how will I explain that to them at the emergency room? That I don't know what's wrong with me, but there is something, <laughs> something wrong. What did you do? What were you doing? Was it your ankle weights? No, I don't <laughs> have ankle weights. <laughs> when you do jazzercise in the morning, <laughs> you put heavy ankle weights on. No, I was doing uh, like deadlifts, and you know, I, I do a lot of like strongman stuff. So I do a lot of farmer carries. Yeah. And you overdid it. Yeah. Too much weight. Like way too much. Yeah. I, I bought a sled. Do you know what the, yeah. so I bought not, a, it's not a sled. It's one of the wheeled ones that okay. resists you. Nice. Which sound better for your neighbors going down the street instead of yeah. scraping metal on the asphalt. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> a no, it's, it's one of the more frustrating things I've ever used in my whole life. And now have you ever gone backwards with the sled? Yeah. Sure. You go backwards. With my real sled, I used to go backwards all the time. Okay. I used to pull and go backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Because of the knees over toes oh, guy. Oh, terrible. that guy. Yeah. He's amazing. It's terrible. But um, <laughs> this is your weekly Catholic podcast on exercising. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, see, the, the, the funny thing is, I think right now in the Catholic church, we've always been against like workouts for the sake of vanity and the sake of, yeah. you know, like obsession over the, because very easily it can become that, and especially oh, yes. today with our body issues and all that stuff, we can very often see, and I, and I know from myself being a fat kid my whole life, I have a very negative body image. Like that's always been with me too. Yeah. Me too. But at the same time, especially since that book, the intellectual life by French Dominican. By Cersei Lange. Yeah. My favorite book. Right. So he talks about how in these letters in the book where he talks like, yeah, you need to have physical exercise in order to have the right. intellectual life thrive. And in fact, the only thing that we know that increases even by individual points, IQ 
is physical exercise. Right. And so the the brain body connection has has been neglected so much. Yeah. The gut brain connection and it, like all this stuff is starting to come out and I'm like, yeah, because it's the unity of a human life. Right. This is Thomistic personalism. This is the the composite unity. Like thinking becomes clear because if I believe what St. Thomas teaches that my body or that the form of the body is the spiritual soul right. and then all the information comes through the senses, right? Comes through, is mediated by my body and then from my soul through the body. And so you have this understanding of like, yeah, the best shape my body can be in is tied to how my brain and, and how my reason operate, right? So we need to like respect that without becoming vain, which is- a Yeah, very, well, it does get weird. Right? It does get very weird quickly. Yeah, like on, on Catholic internet, yeah, stuff. it's funny. It's just yeah, like, because it's not just about being healthy. It's yeah, about right. Recently, I saw like being one of, a bro one, dude. One of the big yeah, one of the big names in this. He was like, <laughs> his post was something about like I'm seeing guys talk about defending their family who couldn't even do one push up or run a, a mile, and it's just like, okay, calm down, buddy. Like I, I get what you're saying. I I totally understand it, but at the same time, like you're allowed to defend your family whether you can do a push up or not. You know, it's like this is ridiculous. Yeah, everyone, every every man in that that comes from that place, they all wish they were in the military, yeah, but didn't. And then everyone that actually was in the military is like, dude, it's not what you think. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of bureaucracy. That's what yeah. the military is. But you know, we have, we always men, we always romanticize the military, don't we? And that military life. We think everyone that goes in is, is like, all right, now that you're done with boot camp, you are all Spartan warriors, yeah. you know, or whatever. So. My brother Ryan was like that, though. Yeah. He, like, came back. He looked like a G.I. Joe. He, yeah. he, he well, left. Yeah, not that it doesn't change you. Yeah, but, yeah. Like, but he but he was very clear-eyed about, like, you know, I, I remember I used to want to be a Marine when I was little. And then yeah. he was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. You'll end up like me, kid. Yeah. Right. Reminds me of that Simpsons line where little, little Ralph Wickham says... I want to be just like my dad. And then one of the guys goes, you better start eating then, kid. <laughs> and this dovetails personally into sexuality. Let us talk about the theology of the body as it pertains to the sexes. So in one instance, you could say, you got to love that segue. In one instance, you could say that this is the most hotly contested issue in our public political speech, right? Yep. What defines a man? What is a woman, right? What defines us as men and women, as opposite sexes, the relationship to gender? How does all of this interplay in terms of roles and expectations and reality? How do we think about this stuff as Catholic? Can you, can a man become a woman, a woman become a man? What does that even mean? And so one of the things that we wanted to do was pump the brakes a little bit on this discussion, right? So this is that's more second half of these podcasts. The first half is laying the foundational to be able to have a discussion. Yeah. And so, yeah, so kind of stemming from the JP2, right? Last week we talked about the theology of the body, the structure of the theology of the body, the idea of in the beginning, the original solitude, the gift, and really understanding that written into our physical bodies is our femininity, our masculinity, and that is how we express our love, our life, but it's also a theology. It tells us about who God is, that God is the lover that gives himself, right? And the love that receives that love and the love that's so real, it's the third person, of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so in human love, we get to be co-creators, procreators with God, where the man goes outside of himself, the woman receives the gift of the man, and nine months later, you got to give that love a name. It becomes incarnate. And so this is a beautiful act of co-creation, that's the phrase that JP2 uses more than procreation, he uses co-creation, that we become co-creators with God that not even the angels can do. So then we look at this notion of the sexes, right? The war over sexes. 
And I think there are two fundamental Christian angles. So let me put it in the context of Christianity that you take. And you see this in the Protestant world. You are either an egalitarian or you are a complementarian. Okay. And you see this in a lot of the the like non-denom churches. They will, in their statements of faith now, that you find like about us, statements of faith, where it describes what they believe, that they have to put now complementarian or egalitarian as a statement of faith. Really? Yeah. Okay. It's gotten... So they're using that language. Yes. And it has become so divisive that people will, you know, you might see... Change churches. Yeah. You might see, you know, Pastor Matt and love his YouTube video sermons or listen to him as a podcast, but then you find, oh, he is a complementarian. No, I'm an egalitarian, so I'm not going to go to his church. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating, right? So in the Catholic world, how does this manifest? Well, it doesn't. In the Catholic world, we are essentially complementarians, right? right? When you look at the language of the theology of the body, not just of JP2, but physical and sexual language in the theology of St. Augustine, St. John Chrysostom, all of these people go back to the church fathers all the way up through St. Thomas, that maleness and femaleness are written into the language of our human nature as it is individually expressed, which is important to understand, and also that they serve not opposite roles and not the same roles, but complementary roles. And so this is where I think the big struggle comes in. Yeah, it, it is where the big struggle comes in, and it's funny that you say for Catholics, the decision is made for us, right? It, there's yeah. we were taught complementary, but that is regards to sexuality, like and those hard laws. Yeah. But the the war of the sexes is present oh, with yeah. most Catholics, like you wouldn't believe, right? Because they don't yeah. understand this. So it's important, right, that we're we're always going to go back. The best part about mixing Thomism and personalism is that we're always going to go back and say, look, the body means something, right? The body was created for a certain reason and and created in a certain way. And God is perfect and creates perfectly, but they're each a subject. Also, they're not just an object and things happen where people feel strange and people feel, and we're going to talk about like all the gender dysmorphia and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's very, very hard right now to sort through. It's kind of like the last election. Did you ever feel that way where it was like, there are so many narratives now. Yeah. How could any, how do, would you ever sort through this? I think with regards to this, there's so many narratives out there as to what could be true and what could be not true and what could be true, but we're not living it this way. And what could be, you know, that we're living it this way, but that, you know, that kind of thing. It's so difficult to sort through all this, yeah. but it's plainly obvious to a four-year-old, a five-year-old, right? Yeah. that uh, God creates perfectly and that bodies matter. Bodies matter. So in the wider political debate, they don't use the term complementary inequality. What they use is the term essentialist versus constructionist. So the social constructionists are those who believe that even at the level of biology, with maybe a few exceptions, that our understanding of maleness and femaleness of men and women of gender roles and all that is invented by societies, by norms, by habits, by customs, by law, by how you were raised, by what you call cultural assumptions and influences. And and ultimately in universities, they're going to say it was invented by the patriarchy. Yeah, it was invented by the patriarchy, which means rule of fathers. So that notion of that it's embedded in our culture 
but we think it's just how men and women are. And so oftentimes these social constructionists will do things like in the 1920s, pink was considered a masculine color and blue was a feminine color. Right. And they, they quote the same article like I hear this every single dang time, but they just want to show you how like it's socially constructed and these social views can change. So like we sing the song uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. A dandy is what we would call a metrosexual today. A man who was so obsessed with preening his physical appearance that he was essentially a woman in terms of his over-the-top garishness and all this stuff. You know, we have these oscillators. What is the ideal man? What does it right. mean to be a man? Because unlike women, though men and women both go through puberty, women are initiated into womanhood through ovulation, right. through their period, right? Through all of these things. It is so physical. It is Tied to Mother Nature, right? right? That's why Mother Nature in almost every culture is feminine. Right. For men, men don't have that. Yes, we have puberty, but men have had cultural rites of initiation that right. brought us into the notion of adulthood, of adult manhood. And so you have Whether these, we know it or not, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be like your dad saying, okay, now you're going to be a man today, yeah. right? Like, of course, you've, you have Judaism, right, mm -hmm. where you have that kind of thing, but- but just things like getting a license, things like, yeah. you know, getting a pocket knife, stuff like that are yeah. little, little things. Like yeah, that. we have cultural rituals yeah. that we kind of insert into there. But the difference, though, is between modern world and the ancient world is every ancient culture that we have record of had complicated, socially approved initiation rituals for boys into masculinity. And for the last 150 years, our culture doesn't. We have little snippets. Oh, it's when you get your license. Oh, right, it's when right, right. you get your first job or whatever. But that's not like a hard and fast thing. In these cultures, it was. Wait, so, wait, wait. So yeah. let me ask you this. Yes, sir. Uh-oh, here we go. Tangent yeah. number one. Yeah. I mean, you have boys who are coming up. Yeah. How old's your oldest? Uh, my oldest boy is 10. Okay, so mine's 14. Yeah. So I'm starting to do like, yeah. like, a, like a, call it like an intentional year. With nice. Him. What, have you thought about things? Uh, have I thought about things, son? I have thought about this. No way. So much. Have you really? Yeah. So I'm going to recommend. Okay. So any of you who have boys who are entering into this age or maybe might be already at that age, there is a podcast you need to listen to first. And it's from the Art of Manliness podcast. Okay. I listened to that one. But he interviews a guy right. who authored a book called The Intentional Father. And he's a non-denom. Is he British? He's Australian. Australian. He's a non-denom pastor. Yeah. So then I went out and bought the book. Yeah. It's also on so Audible. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he does from 13 to 18. Right. It's and a big has, thing. It's a, I mean, this guy goes so full bore. So here's something he says in that. Yeah. That's, I think people will find controversial is one of the things he does is the mom has part of the ceremony yep. where she says, I love you so much, but I need you to cling yeah. to your father now for a yeah. while. They call that the cessation meal or something like that. The <laughs> yeah. separation meal yeah. where they go to his, the son's favorite restaurant. And in this yeah. case, he said very stereotypically, it was Outback Steakhouse <laughs> and I'm an Australian, right? but they, they went there and I want to say it was in New Jersey overlooking the New York city That's right. skyline. That's right. That's right. And she went and she just basically affirmed the heck out of him and said, now what's coming yeah. is I'm handing you over to your father. Yeah. And because part of boyhood is defined as childhood yeah. and in all like tribal cultures, childhood is the realm of the mother. Right. Yeah. And so this is where you get the Oedipal complex. Yeah, the, sure, the boy sure, wants to sure. kill the father and, and sure. uh, marry, marry the, the mother. mother yeah. But that notion, right, which is sound absurd when Freud says it, but that notion is like clinging to boyhood. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, how many moms say to their kids, Oh, I want you to be this cute little boy. You know, never grow up. Oh, you're yeah. so perfect. My wife says that to my kids all the time. She says to my boys and my girls, like, 
look when the Facebook sends up the photo from 10 years ago and yeah. you see when they're a baby or when they're a toddler and your heart just melts and you get a little teary eyed. I mean, not me because I'm a man, but uh, I cry all the time. Um, <laughs> but then you see this and then my wife will say like, oh, never grow up, never change. And then I always whisper to my boys, grow up faster. Yeah. Grow up faster. Not not because I'm contradicting my wife, but because these are two different sides of the same coin. Right. Of understanding that in of order. Course, of course. In or, the cultural understanding is a quote from the sequels of Star Wars, which is no, it's no, it's not, it's not Star Wars. It's Game of Thrones. <laughs> Even more shady. What? Come which, on. This is the great line. This is the great line. You have to kill the boy to become the man. Oh, interesting. Right. And so that phrase lingers in ancient like Cardinal Seurat. They would, all the men of the village, when there was enough boys that were about to go through their rites, the women, they would all be around the campfire. The men would come out dressed like the enemy tribe, and they would kidnap all of the right, right, teenage right. boys. And they'd strip them naked, circumcise them. If the kids screamed out loud, they would be removed from the tribe. This is the brutalness of tribal initiation. Which, but you find them all throughout the world. Right, just just write in and tell us whether you're rolling your eyes or just gonna, you're not going to listen anymore. No, but so but just think yeah. about this in yeah. terms of sex and culture. Yeah, for thousands of years, right? In and when we say tribal cultures, we also mean cultures that were that like ancient Greece. When we think of Athens, oh, yeah. it was awesome. still tribal, big time. Yeah. You know, right, all of these things they had rituals that they put men through. Now, the fascinating thing is, almost everywhere circumcision, where circumcision was practiced, it was done at the age of around thirteen. Are you kidding me? So, in the Middle East, right? So, when did Abraham receive the call of circumcision? Right. When Ishmael, the father of the Arabs, right. was thirteen, right. and Isaac was a newborn. So, Isaac was circumcised at eight days, but Ishmael at 13 and Abraham at 99, right? So you, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> so you have the, that's an obstacle to conversion. Um, <laughs> so you have this notion uh, within the Arabs. So like, for instance, in the Native American tribes, actually, it's kind of funny that I said Ripley's, believe it or not, they had this image of a teenage boy hanging from hooks embedded in his chest right, I, I know from a tree. Them. What is that? What culture that, is that? That was a, a Native American tribe. Yeah. And that was how they had to hang all night from these hooks in their flesh from the tree in order to symbolize like, and if they could do it all night long, then they could become men in, in the tribe. And so you have these br sometimes insane, brutal rituals. Now in Judaism, you had a bar, a bar mitzvah, right? <laughs> like, like, Oh, thank God. I was circumcised. Well, so, I mean, don't you, this, this is really telling, right? Yeah. Because what happens in, in Judeo Christian culture for rituals is it's tempered with virtue yeah. and, yeah. Beauty and those kind of things. And in pagan cultures, it's not tempered. Right. Right. And because it's the, the strong will is, survive. Right? right. The notion is we need you to be a man. Right. Good thing. Yeah. But then how you do it. Yeah. Bad so thing. Father Richard Rohr, whom I do not like. Why are you? <laughs> what is happening? You're quoting Game of Thrones and Father Richard Rohr. <laughs> Basically the same thing. But Father Richard Rohr, when he was normal, he was the one that made, <laughs> I killed David with that comment. He was the one that made this study on rituals right. because he did prison ministry. So he said, here are the five lessons. And it's literally on my phone as my wallpaper. Here are the five lessons that these rituals taught every boy. Life is hard. You are not important. Your life is not about you. You are not in control. You are going to die. So these <laughs> Those are awesome. I know, right? These are the five. Now, which one do you think is the hardest for modern kids to hear? Life is hard. You are not important. You are, not life, important. You are not important. Yeah. I had my kids each. I assigned them each one of these. I have four kids. So one was, you know, whatever. But I had them each write an, a one-page essay reflecting <laughs> on one of these because I'm a psychopath. And 
I told my teenage daughter, my oldest, to take You Are Not Important. And for her, that like, that broke her heart. And yeah. she's like, I, I don't understand, I'm, but I'm special. Yeah. Right? And I'm like, you are to me and to your mother. And to God. And to God, absolutely. But you start to think about, I am not important. What does that mean? It's like, compared to the tribe. Yeah. Like, right. the tribe must endure. Right. So you, as a man, have, you're expendable. Yeah. You had to be ready to die for the tribe. Now, you can understand that life is nasty, brutish, and short in those circumstances. So the reason why we wanted to bring this up is because these initiation rituals become almost like road signs to understanding and navigating gender. And it's funny because Simone de Beauvoir, one of the major feminists, she was a Marxist. She was the, the consort of Jean-Paul Sartre. They're both atheists. They're both existentialists. They're both Marxists. Her vision was, you know, you really can't have equality of the sexes until right. all babies are raised by the state and women can be liberated from parenthood. But for her, she wrote a book called The Separated Sex. Yeah. And she doesn't use the word language of gender. But she kind of like anticipates. She's writing in 1949, so it's in between first and second wave feminism. And a lot of this you can find in the book The Genesis of Gender by Dr. Abigail Favale, who's now at Notre Dame. But she talks about how men are not bounded by facticity, which she means like mother nature. Right. We're not going to get pregnant and have to stay home for right, nine months. Right. Men are, are the reason why they're better than women essentially, is what Simone de Beauvoir is saying, is because we're transcendent. Right. We go and we build things outside of ourselves, like right. buildings and volcanoes of right. awesome glory right. to right. ourselves and all this stuff. Like, we build monuments to our own success. Whereas women are bounded by nature, and she called it facticity, the givenness of nature. So for women, motherhood, pregnancy, motherhood, sexuality, all of that was, you might as well be a, a what do you call it, a breeding animal. You know, that's all you are. You're you're like cattle on some ranch that the farmer is breeding out this this semester or this season. And so, for her to be a woman in the modern world means to transcend one's facticity. Uh, uh. So this is a because first wave feminism was about giving women right. the right to vote and political good. power. Right. Yeah. there was plenty that was great with it, right. and which is also why temperance, the temperance movement, right. coincided because women, domestic violence and alcoholism were sky high. Right. So when they got the power to vote, they also shut down alcohol, which it like radically altered domestic situation. People don't. It's like the hidden history of prohibition. You know, I I I hope that all of this rings true for people, right? Because yeah. even though you might not go out and say like well, women are just breed, they're cattle, they're just for yeah. breeding or something like that. The spirit of that is so present. I was just, just the other day talking to a priest friend who went, accompanied an all-girls high school on a mission trip. And he was talking about like, well, some of you be housewives and some of you will be this and some of you will be that, you know? And uh, several of the girls said, well, I, I hope you'd want more for us than just to be a housewife, right? Yeah. And in his mind, he's like, what are you talking about? Like, some of the best it's ones the, that I know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. The heroes, you know, yeah. the heroines, right, are, are that. So he was he was really taken aback by this. But, yeah. but it's very present. There is a, and there has been culturally a, a detestation of the wife and mother as that which defines, oh, so the only reason why I have a definition of value and worth right. is through what a man either does for me or gives to me, right? And it's like, no. No, see, this This is the corruption of the conversation around sexuality today and gender roles and all that stuff right. is because we despise, the starting point is we despise fatherhood and motherhood. My argument is fatherhood and motherhood is the perfection of masculinity right. and femininity. Whether or not you become an actual physical father or mother, 
Right. Right. You, you are meant to, like, you might become a spiritual one. And by spiritual one, I don't mean just a priest. Like, you might be, like, I I had, after I did the Pints of Aquinas four and a half hour interview where I had talked a little bit about this, I had a gay man immediately reach out to me. And he said, listen, I loved it. I loved everything you had to say. He said, but I'm living as the church asks. He said, but I, I struggle with my same sex attraction, blah, blah, blah. He's like, but I'm, I'm joyful. I love my life. But you kind of broke my heart when you said you have to be like the perfectionist fatherhood. That's a gift I'll never receive. And because I lived an active gay lifestyle, I don't think it's appropriate for me to enter seminary and all this stuff. Interesting. And so I said, listen, when I said spiritual fatherhood, I didn't mean the priesthood no. or I didn't mean joining a religious order. I meant your paternity will be expressed and made manifest in non-physical ways. Right. That's what I meant by that. So whether or not you become a foster father or a big brothers and big, you know, whatever, what was that organization? Big brothers and big sisters, you know, you do that or you, you know, whatever you, you exercise your paternalism through other things. Yeah. Like it will become manifest as right. the, as the maturing perfection of your, of your masculinity. So, the other thing is, like, you can see this in the Barbie movie where they take this 2001 montage where the Barbie doll appears, you know, Margot Robbie. She's this is in the preview. She's standing there in the Barbie swimsuit from the first Barbie character. Okay. And all these little girls are around. They're playing with dolls. And then they see Barbie and they smash their baby dolls. Oh. For the sake of the bar. And it's meant to be like, here's this new capitalist monolith yeah. that's going to dominate. Yeah. But it's kind of symbolic in another way to me of the feminist movement where it goes from here's little girls caring for little babies being mommies ah, to dollies. Interesting. And now they're smashing right. the dolls, smashing their right. heads to in play and with throwing the, the doll them that you so put that it they, on the beach tanning yeah, or something like that. In, right. in, a swim, in the black and white swimsuit, right? It, now the ideal form of womanhood uh. is this, you know, motherless, childless, perfect feminized like icon. And so it's fast. So, okay. So we say all this because there's the social constructionists who hold that all of gender and all of sex and all of these roles are built by cultural influences and assumptions. But the other side of this are essentialists. And these are people who say, yeah, there is obviously just like the culturists will say, there's obviously some biological, the essentials will say, yeah, there's obviously some cultural things here. Like we're not pretending like culture doesn't matter. No, of course we, I mean, we would look at certain cultures and say they're too, they're too masculine, too, masculine, too feminine. Too, yeah. 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 The machismo and all that right, stuff. Right, right. But then they would say, but it's mostly things like genital, your genital sex, your biological sex, your genetic sex. Like these are your XX and your XY chromosomes are written through every somatic cell in your body. You only have, right. So, and these determine the level of testosterone right, and right, right. all of these things that change. Like I think it's somewhere around week six in the womb not only are you differentiated sexually but if you're a boy with the xy chromosome week six or weeks eight something like that the testosterone starts right. shaping your entire bone structure your entire muscle structure your brain structure all of it, it starts at that young age in the womb and this one woman goes to great lengths i, I wish i could remember her name she goes to great lengths to demonstrate against the social constructionists by only, and she lived with chimpanzees okay. for a year just to study male behavior patterns and female behavior patterns because genetically they're closest, yeah. but they don't have culture. Right. Right. You can't say that these right. are, you know, right. no one's writing books. Right. <laughs> right? Like, right. They don't. So she goes through and she looks at, and the, one of the commonalities is the presence of testosterone dominant versus estrogen dominant in the, in the sexes. 
And she said, and wouldn't you know it, the females congregate with each other. The and females the raise babies. the babies. Yeah, right. You know, the females compete with other females for masculine attention. They all gravitate towards like the top 5% of the, ma- like they might sleep with the bottom rung dudes, but they all are fighting for the top guy, right? Like, so you see this, this then and he goes, and the men are aggressive. They're violent. They, you know, all this stuff that you associate with testosterone, what people call toxic masculinity and all this stuff today. She said, you find the, the chimpanzee version of that in in things so you so she's saying like you in these cultures so you find that the men congregate in gangs right like the men only hang out with the men the women only hang out with the women like you yeah. have this like division that is based solely on nature not right. nurture right and so within these constructs you have the physical achievement being valued like Wait, all- do, do you know do you know what's interesting about that that it's only based it's not based on culture yeah it's worse yeah it's worse it gets distorted without culture yeah yeah, so this is where the you, you have, culture limits, right? I mean, yeah. people we're so ready to destroy everything that makes us yeah. what we are, and 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 then we're going to be in a zoo or a jungle, right? <laughs> yeah. Then you're in a jungle. Yeah, you're you're yeah, a jungle or a zoo, but never free. So you and you think about this language, right? When you tie it to animals and you tie humanity to animals, one of the things that you end up doing is you say like, well, where would we be more free, right? Where would we? And the Freudian move was like, okay, civilization exists because we have to, and this is kind of the the enlightenment. We make a social contract. We give up some of our absolute freedoms, freedom to just, you know, like caveman style, club a woman over the head and take her back to my cave. And now she's mine. You give up some of that so that you can get more security and peace. So you go from a world where life is nasty, brutish, and short to now it can be beautiful, long, and peace, relatively peaceful. But in doing that, you give up some of the animality, right? That that's the argument of the social contract people, right? So this and this is the basis of America. Yeah, we are all social contractors. So you have this understanding now. When does when does nature need to be cultivated? Well, it's cultivated by culture, right? We use the language of cultivation which is a farming term, yeah. right? Like a culture is that which is cultivated. Right. And cultivation doesn't mean it's purely domestic. It doesn't mean it's purely wild. It's like the Garden of Eden. Oh, we come back to this. It's like the Garden of Eden. A garden implies nature, right. but not the wilds, not the wilderness. Right. So there's the wilderness where God brings, forms man, and then he puts him in the garden, a walled garden. So it's safe and protected culture, but it's also natural, right? So you have nature, you have an element of the wildness within man, because we were formed from the dust out in the wilderness, and then placed into the garden, right? So there's this element of a civilization built on moral principles actually restrains that which is too animalistic in us. But if it goes too far, then what happens? When civilization dominates me and I lose my connection to nature, then we almost become this, and this is the big movement of transhuman. This is like the squashing of masculinity or femininity. Yeah, that's where it starts. It's the use of technology to annihilate the differences in biology. Yeah. And then, but and and we wonder, like, if you never stop consuming pornography, you don't actually have more sex in your personal life. You have less. Right. Right. And people don't realize that they think, oh no, you're a sex no, no, fiend. A- You've given yourself over to lust. And it's like, yeah, but it's a lust that castrates no, you. I, yeah. I, I, Jen, she talks about this in iGen, how kids are having sex later yeah. now. We think everyone's like, iGen, is that Jennifer 
Twinge, twang, yeah, tw- twangy, yeah, twangy. And she talks about how, like, it, it, look, there's all these rites of passage that are happening later, yeah, right. And we think, like, oh man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. They're actually having sex later, but it's because of pornography. They've replaced it, yeah, yeah. with yeah. yeah. And and here's the in, fascinating thing is because our bodies, because we are our bodies, we don't just have a body. What we do with our body and what we don't do with our body matters to our own psychosocial development. The development of our psychology around, I mean, think about this. When I was a kid, my biggest struggle, I don't know about you, my biggest struggle was how do I talk to a girl to get her to like me, right? So you think all the time, like, what can I do to get girls to like me? Some men go the route of like, I'm going to be their best friend. I'm going to hang out with other dudes go the other route. Right. Right. So I was the funny guy. Other dudes go the other route of, no, I'm just going to be a total bro, dude, bro, man. Right. And they're going to love me because look, I can, I can climb a tree and I can throw a football. I can do all this stuff. That's your route. No, Uh, (laughs) I can't throw a football and save my life. (laughs) Now I could physically dominate. (laughs) I'm literally scared of you right now. Uh, But so, but like, think about how that interplays culturally. So then you have a culture where men are required to subordinate themselves to some form of self-discipline in order to talk to a girl. That means the woman, so in Christian society for courtship, the woman sets the term for courtship, the woman and her family, always. The power was totally in the hands of the woman, but now it's not anymore. And now even worse is the rise of the Tinder culture where you can use Tinder for great means, right? Like, hey, I just want to hang out. Let's see if people are in the area. They want to go hang out, whatever. But what people are using these apps for are hookups. And when we hyper-technologize away the differences between the sexes, because that's what civilization lets us do, but even more so that's what the industrial world lets us do, but even more so that's what our information age and the technology lets us do is we can, because a woman can sit at a desk and type out a TPS report every bit as good as a man. It doesn't rely on the physical strength of a farmer carrying huge bays of hail that a, a woman, maybe his wife couldn't do, but he could do, you know? Yeah. Those, that's where the differences matter. Right, so in pre-industrial right. societies that still exist today, the line between masculine and feminine gender roles are much more pronounced because it usually relies on physical strength. Well, work. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah the physical labor. But for informational work, it doesn't. And so now you have this big collapse of distinctions of men and women in corporations, white-collar jobs. Wait, well, okay. Yeah. You're saying it seems not to matter, but it does. It matters in, in, in the sense of like a woman and a man using their brain power. Yeah. And so knowledge work. Right. Right. A woman and man right. can equally do those jobs. Okay. Okay, right. okay. So like because it's not dependent on strength. Right. Right. And so there might be certain jobs in the in the white collar world that women can do better than men and whatever. So you have this, this. So this is the funny thing with the rise of technology and all these new opportunities and for the workforce doubling after World War II because all these women then went to work. You now have the breakdown in the workplace first of gender differences. And because of knowledge work, because of the rise of corporations. So, yes, women were secretaries in the 1950s and 60s. But, you know, if you ever watched the, the television show Mad Men, you follow the it, life of I, this. I watched two episodes. It was so disturbing. I the watch first it. two episodes are so depressing. It was really disturbing. It's the greatest show ever made. But the first two episodes are, like, the most depressing. Because then you see, like, oh, here's this, this playboy. And he's a husband and father. I and immediately he's having called someone who, who worked <laughs> in that era and was like, is this re- is that yeah. really what it was? And he was like, absolutely. Yeah, especially, I mean, New York City, Mad Men. It's yeah. terrible. Madison it's Avenue so advertising, horrible. guys. Yeah, but <laughs> getting past that. Yeah. No, but it followed, like, his wife 
is a woman who does the housewife thing. Right. And she goes, basically, she has these crazy hysterical moments. She passes out frequently, you know, and that's the the drudgery of being a kept woman in a home. It's like her whole life revolves around cleaning her home and making a, a dinner that her husband would be proud of. And that's it. But that wasn't what home life was 100 years ago. No. That's what it modern life is. And so for all of us who have this snapshot of the leave it to beaver and that's it, like we're missing what the feminine role in the home was because both the woman and the man were at home. For the history of humanity, most cultures were either tribal or agrarian. And in agrarian societies, men and women were at home. Even if they lived in the cities, you were a cobbler. You made shoes. Your shoe factory or shop was downstairs, and your family lived upstairs. So the man was always murderously close to his family. So, but okay, let let me just tie back to JP2. So today's debate is between essentialists and social constructionists. The social construction say, yeah, it's some biology, but it's mostly culture. So if we change culture, we can change not just the gender roles, which as Catholics, we'd say, yeah, yeah, we can change gender roles. Women can do a bunch of stuff. Like we're not, you know, JP2 has this whole thing in Chris Fide's Leiji about the, partic- the rise of participation of women. Right. But at the same time, you have the essentialists on the other side saying, yeah, no, it's cultural, but it's also essential to who you are as a masculine or feminine human person that you have these roles, these jobs. And you see when the essentialists go too far saying women can't do these things that they technically can do. And you see the constructions going so far as saying, no, because... Because it's all just an object of construction, we can unmake it. We can de, and this is the phrase of postmodern, we can deconstruct everything. Yeah, Yeah, we can deconstruct the patriarchy. We can have a, but just like Barbie, they want to have a matriarchy. That's basically the the end game of the movie is all the Kens are wrong. Oh, is that true? Yeah, basically the plot line of the movie is Barbie goes into the real world, finds the real world is dominated by the patriarchy at Mattel, which trashes Man, the daughter is like a communist, you know, whatever, constantly. And then she goes back home. Ken now loves the real world because he has authority because beforehand he never (laughs) did. So then he goes into and he gets all the Kens to become patriarchal and all the women getting locked up. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And and then she but she liberates the women by reducing the men back to slaves, basically. Not slaves, but mindless idiot. So that's like you either get patriarchy or you get matriarchy in the church. It's like, but there's a different way. Right. So that's the problem is this yeah. false dichotomy. That yeah, constantly- but it's all constructionist. So Barbie, the Barbie movie is all constructionist. So have you ever heard of a turf? You ever heard that term turf? No. I mean, so like, on, tra- like, on a, uh, like on a football field? No. Okay. Trans exclusionary radical feminist. So J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry yeah, Potter, right. right? She is a turf. She's she exclude because she's an essentialist. She believes that that which is essential Right. Oh, woman. she got criticized for that. I yeah. This. Oh, okay. I mean, HBO just did this huge like anniversary thing. Brought the whole cast back from the things. All these people, but they refused to bring her in. Okay. So, so radical feminism, but they're saying like, but look, we still respect bodies. Yeah. So if you're born a man, you're a man. If you're yeah. born, okay. That because is- Michel Foucault, the famous kind of father of, of postmodernism, one of his big things that he said, like he was writing, but he said, now I'm writing this as a woman. And uh, Dr. Abigail Favale, again, I will mention her forever because she's awesome. Yeah. Um, in her book, Genesis Agenda, talks about how all the, in their women's studies class, were so ticked off. Like, you don't know what it's like to have a period. You don't know what it's like to have the threat of pregnancy. You don't know any of this stuff about what it means to be a woman. How can you say now I'm writing as a woman? And that was the early critique of uh, male transsexuals. That's what used to be called transsexuals. Because it's like, they're not, they're not, they're not women. They're 
aping and fetishizing that which they've idealized a woman to be. Right. So it's like, yeah. oh, it's the satin, it's the silk, right. it's the lingerie, it's the fancy clothing and elaborate dresses. And then you sit there and you listen to what's his name, Bruce Jenner. And when he talks about feminism, that famous being a woman in that famous Vogue article, it's all those things. It's all the fetishization of like the over the top, super stereotypical feminine woman. Right. And so th this is the struggle. Like a lot of these feminists were like, no, the whole point of feminism was to open new opportunities for women to be women. But with the rise of the transgender movement, it has, <laughs> the transgender movement is so destructive of feminism and, of, both, and right. of gay rights movement stuff, right. because it basically said gay rights says, no, 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 our, my sexual attraction is immutable. I'm born this way. And then they say, no, gender is fluid. There actually is no such thing as gender. Right. So how can you be attracted right. or you yourself even call yourself? You're right. So like it undoes itself, but then it undoes feminism because feminism propped it up by saying like, no, gender is just a thing that's socially constructed. Social yeah. And then they say, yeah, well, so is sex. Yeah. And I can remake it. And so there's, there's a bunch of women who are feminists who have no common cause with Christianity, who are pushing back against the trans agenda. A lot of, the, a lot of French feminism right. is essentialist feminism. Right. So to the point where Dr. Abigail Favale sent this woman, this famous feminist, uh, I believe she's like in her 70s now, parts of JP2's writing, maybe it was a Dignitatis Mulieribus on the, on the um, Dignity and Vocation of Women, and she said, this man is ripping me off. No way. And she didn't understand what no that way. was the Pope. And so she sent like, no, he, he, this stuff came out 20 years before your book was published <laughs> and they were, you know, and that's the thing. Sure. So, so what is the church? Well, when we talk about essentialism, right? So the church is never pure social construct, but you can acknowledge social constructs. Like we did initiation rituals. Yeah. There's something in the initiation rituals that tap into the nature of a, of a boy becoming right, right, a man. A social construct in a sense is, is morally neutral. Depending on right, it can be yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right. But but the, the, the concept of a social yeah, yeah. It, it can go too far when you think that these categories right. are only constructed socially. So the church would say no, there are givens, and part of those givens is in the beginning God created the male and female, right. and humanity is revealed in its maleness or its femaleness. There's not three genders. There's not 12 genders. Now, there could be fallen and corrupted states of nature where you have dangling chromosomes, Kleinfelter syndrome. There's a whole bunch of genetic anomalies that today, but that it, the reason why we know it's a genetic anomaly is because we know there are XX and XY, right, right. one's feminine, one's masculine. And so for us, we start with the givenness of biology. And then from the givenness of biology, we can acknowledge the social area. So the givenness comes first, but you can push the essentialism too far to where you say to the point where there is a male humanity and a female humanity right. kind of pop culture is right. men are from right. Mars, women are right. from Venus. Right. Right. The moment you think that it's and you still, say, no. it's that, that it just perpetuates the, the, yeah. the war, right? Yeah. It's if, right. And then you perpetuate the opposites. The definition of man and woman is man is the opposite of a woman. Woman's the opposite of a man. That's not the Catholic church's teaching. Our men and women are complementary. Yeah. The maleness and the female, just like our sexual genitalia unfolds in a, in a sacramental way. It also expresses, let's say expresses in a sacramental way. So too, does that happen in, in every other facet that, the male and female body are first compatible yeah. because they're both human. Yeah. They have a shared common human nature. Yeah. That's why it's reproductive. When a tiger and a lion mate and they produce a liger, that liger 
is sterile. Right. Like a mule, mulish. Like they say mulish. The, these things are sterile because they're not of the same nature. Right. They're compatible to reproduce, but it ends there. Right. Right. And so you have this understanding with humanity. Culture exists because we're able to perpetuate the species and all that stuff. But, but the essential characteristics, right, who we are as men and women and how that is expressed in cultures and how that's expressed in society and the gender roles we take, there's elements of adaptability to all of that. Right. But its basis has to be something stable. Yeah, architecture. Which is your biology. Your biology, right, your right. body. Yeah, so we, are, we start with the essentials and we can embrace the social construct to a way that's limited by the essentialist view because we're complementarian. Right, and the, and the essential things should speak the laws about cultural yeah. constructs, yeah. right? They ought to govern right. how we play with these things. And so that's what we're discovering today. We've undone a lot of stuff, and now we don't know how to roll it back or which things we should roll back. And some people saying, well, no, there's conflict because we haven't gone far enough. Yeah, I think that's a that's where we're at right now. So it's not just about Universities, that's where we're at right now. Yeah. And they'll literally say, this is, this is something that comes up in my field often, is that when I'm speaking about exorcism, there's always someone in the crowd who says, Oh, so you saw someone like levitate or something like that. And, and, and it's like, yeah. And they're like, well, what if I said that science just hasn't caught up to it yet? Yeah. Right. Science just hasn't right. like, we can explain it non-spiritually. Science just hasn't caught up to it yet. That absolutely happens every single day yeah. in this whole movement where they're like, yeah, pretty soon there won't be periods. Pretty soon we'll be able to procreate without wombs you know like these yeah, kind of we'll things have artificial wombs yeah we'll have right right artificial insemination for your artificial womb for your artificial right. child and then what will we do we will treat and this is part of our our thing about life issues we will treat children like products of yeah, consumer of purchase right yeah, so, so well i mean it already is right absolutely yeah and we'll get into that we'll get the, into that so so an interesting yeah. thing with all this is that my, my son judah there's there's someone in, in his class, and I don't want to, like, misrepresent them because it's just a kid, but she's constantly talking about, like, women can do anything men do, and, you know, like, that's, like, a big thing for her, like, all the time, you know? And I'm sure it's totally innocent, right? But Judah is so confused by this. Like, he doesn't understand because he's raised outside of the war of the sexes, right? Like, it's not a thing in his life, right? No one, no one... I mean, I know you and Shannon, and I know from my own marriage, right? No one would have ever seen Amber and I and been like, oh, there's like, that's a patriarchy, right? Like, yeah. that is yeah. so ridiculous, right? It's, it just wasn't like that. And I know that it's like that with you and Shannon, too. It, it's, it's just not that way. And so I think, like, one of the things I want to draw out, like, just practically speaking, is like, we have to exit the war of the sexes, like, completely. And, and, and the way you do that is through virtue by self gift, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. And to kind of wrap up today's talk, when you look at the biblical account in Genesis one and two, what do you find? God in Genesis one is this great procession of creation. He arranges the realms of, you know, let there be light. So you got time, you have the heavens, the skies and the waters of the ocean. You have dry land and vegetation day one, two and three. Day four, five, and six, which correspond to day one, two, and three, you have the sun, moon, and stars. Then on day five, you have sea animals and the birds. And then on day six, you have the land animals, the creeping things that creep upon the earth. And then you have the creation of man, male, and female. And in the creation of man, male, and female, you have a fascinating thing because it's on day six with the other animals. Yeah. But it says, let us create man, Adam, in our image after our likeness. 
male and female, he created them. So in this notion of nature, of human nature, humanity is only complete in the maleness and the femaleness. And unlike every other ancient religion and philosophy, men and women are both made in the image and likeness. Now what happens right after that? Let them have dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth. Why is that important? Both the man and the woman from the beginning were to exercise dominion over the animals. In Genesis 2, the account of Adam naming the individual animals, that's an exercise of dominion, right? right? But it is a priestly dominion. So man, male, and female were to exercise a priestly dominion, a stewardship over creation by ordering it to God, like a garden is to the wilds. That is what we were to do, right? So, and the the amazing thing is pre-lapsarian, which is a fancy word for before the fall, we were to govern, number one, we're both created by God, for God, and for each other. We're both made in the image and likeness of God. We are both called to communion with God. We both share the same human nature, though there is the obvious difference. And we are both meant to govern, steward, and be and exercise priestly authority. And so the covenantal union of the man and woman, though, is not disregarded or downplayed. It's the very foundation of the covenant. Because you're not the same body as me, Adam could say to Eve, now we can enter into a, a new covenant because of the difference that implies relationship. So we're going to go on. We're going to leave you with one practical takeaway after a message from our sponsor, Ascension Press. We love them so much. So stay tuned. We'll be back with a practical takeaway. Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jansen. And we're the hosts of Catholic Classics. Join us for season two of the podcast, where we will read and explain the Confessions by St. Augustine. So the Confessions, it's a classic, we all know that, but why read it? In this book, St. Augustine testifies to God's power, God's ability to draw him from a life of sin and error into a life of holiness and of genuine service of God's people. And not only are the confessions a testimony to St. Augustine's life, but also a testimony to the way by which God works in each of our lives, bringing us from our sin to a life of holiness, drawing us ever more and more into God's very own life. To follow along, you can find the reading plan at ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics. And we're back. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ascension Press. What we want to do is give you a practical takeaway. Last week, it was read Genesis 1 and 2. This week, I want you to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and following. That's the famous, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. But the interesting thing is you got to get that verse right at the beginning. I think it's in 520 where it says, subject yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, and in the Greek, it actually deletes the word because it's assuming the previous. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. And it's funny because it's like, okay, well then that means the reason why it deletes is because that verb is already right before it. But right, so our male authority in the home, headship, is always manifest as servant leadership. It's always one at the service. And so this is going to be, this is a complicated thing that we can get into later. Yeah. Thanks so much. God bless you all. 